Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Unreroute the rivers, let the damned water beep. There's some people down the way that's thirsty, so let the liquid spirit free. The people are thirsty because of man's unnatural hand. Watch what happens when the people catch wind when the water hits the banks of that hard, dry land. Clap your hands now. Gregory Porter with Liquid Spirit. Good morning. This is me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM's Jazz Shapers. Thank you very much for joining me. Jazz Shapers is the place where you can hear the very best of the people shaping the world of jazz, blues, and soul. And right inside the mix of all of that, we put a business shaper, someone who's shaping the world of business. I'm very happy to say that my business shaper today is Aphrodite Krasa. I hope I've said that properly. You've Af- said it absolutely perfectly. You're going to hear lots from Aphrodite very shortly. She's the founding director of Aphrodite Krasa, the eponymously named uh, hospitality studio which she uh, has created and founded. And uh, you'll be hearing all about the kinds of spaces that she has been designing for many years. You all know um, lots of them. In addition to hearing to, from Aphrodite, you'll be hearing from our program partners at Mishkondorea. Some words of advice for your business. And then we We've got the music and it's brilliant today. Miles Davis is in there. The Hot 8 Brass Band are in there. And this is also in there. It's Madeline Peru. Hello, babe. I had to call you up. Hello, baby. I'm feeling up. You know, I have something to tell you. Honey, I still want you. The delicious Madeline Peru with Hello Babe. Aphrodite Krasa is my business shaper here on uh, Jazz Shapers. Founding director of Aphrodite Krasa. Easy, because you kept your name there. I see what you've done. Uh, it's a hospitality design studio, and uh, I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for joining me. I'm really glad to be here too. Tell me, Aphrodite, what a hospitality design studio does when it's at home. <laughs> when it's at home, it's never at home, I don't think. <laughs> what we do every day is uh, design restaurants, hotels, bars and cinemas that define their category that they operate within. So within that, we undertake the interior design of the spaces, the brand design, the whole concept and every other branded touch point that will create the world of a restaurant or a hotel and the experience that the guest would have. Now, you've been doing, you set this up 14 years ago. Tell me a couple of the brands that you've um, helped create. Uh, uh, your listeners will probably recognize E2, which was my first project when I started the business back in 2002. A couple of years later, I took on my first project, my first big project, which was E2. And um, they would probably recognize Dishoom, which is one of the most successful casual dining concepts in the UK. Currently, we work with people like Hilton, Hyatt, Intercontinental from the big hotel groups. We work with um, uh, restaurant chains and casual dining concepts such as Eat, pret We work with Heston Blumenthal and chefs. So we work all across, really. No business was too small or too big. <laughs> this is good. She's too, I love I love the sales pitch. Very simple. If you're listening and you have a problem, Aphrodite Krasa will as, make it beautiful. As, as long as it's a, a business that can define the category or has got potential to mm. do that, and that's really important. So, so and I want to come back to the, the redefining or the defining of a category because it's a very ballsy place to go, and I think that mm. is what makes you you and your business you. Just tell me a little bit about the bit before you decided to set up your own shop, as it were. Yeah. You've had a, I mean, you know, a textbook. Uh, history, you were at Central St. Martins, you were at Royal College of Art, you worked at Seymour Powell and all that. At what point 
did you say, you know what, I want to do this for myself? And why? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think I kind of knew even before I went to study. When I was a kid, I remember speaking to my dad and he would always say, I come from entrepreneurial parents. Both my parents set up their own businesses in, in different sectors, very academic. And when I went to my dad and I said, look, I don't want to pick up medicine, which is what my dad does. And I don't want to pick up law, which is what my mom does. And they've both been in three generations of doing law and medicine. So the expectation was that I would pick one of the two. And I said, look, I don't want to be doing any of these two. I'm, I'm creative. I want to be doing something creative. And he said, good luck, but you need to work out whether you will be an employee or an employer in your life. And, and I said, what do you mean? And he said, there's nothing wrong with either. You just need to decide which side you want to be sitting on. And that was when I was about 16. And I thought, I pretty know in, in my heart that I will always be an employer rather than employee. It's, I think it's the way we were raised in a family. We, we weren't very good at listening to other people. <laughs> and uh, still, still, still not good at all at listening to other people. And, and then went on to study, as you said, you know, I had a very um, formal academic training in design. And uh, when I went to the Royal College of Art, I mean, my whole focus was how do I set up my business when I graduate? I never really worried too much about the academic stuff. I worried more about setting up my business when I graduate. And and I remember when I was at St. Martin's, it was the same case. I spoke to my tutor and he said, um, what is your third year project going to be, your final project? You know, it's the big project. I said, I don't know. All I'm worried about is how am I going to get a job when I graduate? And that was in my second year. So I, I always had, I always had this... Um, ambition to do something after and I kind of knew what I wanted it to be and I would shape my education to help me do that but you picked up on Simopa which is perhaps an interesting thing I was their first female employee so I graduated having trained as a product designer at the time it was called industrial design which is a very unsexy term currently nobody uses it and it was a very engineered kind of base of uh, education and women would just not go down that route because they thought it was very technical and would go, um, it would be very male dominated. So I graduated from Central and I was Simopal's first female employee. And then I spent three years there learning the trade and went back to the RCA to do my master's with really my hope of setting up my business. And I set it up straight after college. And that's what it's like when you're an entrepreneur. You just kind of know from quite a young age, I love that employer versus employee decision and no judgment around it either. No, um, absolutely not. Stay with me for much more from Aphrodite Crasso, my brilliant business shaper. But right now it's time for some more music. And this is Billy Taylor with the brilliant I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel To Be Free. That was Billy Taylor with I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel To Be Free. Aphrodite Crasser is my business shaper today, founding director of Aphrodite Crasser. So easy, I love it. Um, uh, you were explaining really uh, passionately and truthfully about this this urge in you to kind of, or well, this decision your father said, either to be an employer or an employee, yeah. which, I, which I think, as I said earlier, is, a, is such a simple question, such a wise question to pose. Um, and you went for it very early on. Did you find... Uh, you, 
you mentioned this feeling you were creative and you talked about three generations of law and three generations of medicine, both of which have creative people in them, of course. Yeah. But, but to be fundamentally creative, how did, that, how did you know you were creative, I guess is my question. How did I know? I don't know. I think if you are, you don't know any other way. So you don't know how people who are not creative realize that they're not creative. Do you see what I mean? To me, it's a, it's a kind of given, I guess. But did you see stuff? You know, we're going to get into kind of the design of a restaurant and the experience that that design gives. You, you have a sense. There's no book. I remember, I'll give you a simple example. I remember taking uh, the school bus on my way home every day from school and I would sit in the bus and constantly think, if I was to relay the bus, the seating, if I was to redesign it, it would be much more efficient. You'd get a lot more people sat down and that was at the age of 10 or something and it would be a much more comfortable ride for everyone and I would look at the bus and think how would I reconfigure it and and, and to me it's not so much a creative exercise but more of a problem solving exercise to me I always saw design as a way to solve problems or make things better and in Greece you would have these typical little kiosks on every kind of road that sell newspapers, you know, it's like mini kiosks. You have them in Italy and other countries, and you buy drinks. and And I would go to the, to a local one to buy, I don't know, the newspaper. And I would again think, oh, if I had this business, if this was mine, I would display the newspapers in that way because that would be better. They would sell more. And I would constantly think how to change things for other people in my head. And you know, I would cook and draw and build things and generally be. Um, very, very uh, enamored with the idea of spending time on my own thinking things and making things and drawing things. I just didn't have a name for it, to be honest, lately. In, in Greece, uh, unfortunately, uh, school training uh, doesn't really guide you to something creative. It, at the time, design was completely unknown. I didn't even know it existed as a, as, a, as, a, as a profession. So my only option in my head was to be either an architect or a graphic designer. I wasn't really sure. I knew I didn't want to do arts. I knew I wanted to do applied arts. And, um, yeah, so that's how I kind of uh, felt as a kid. And I, I never defined it. To me, it was just me. Stay with me for much more from my business shaper today. We're going to come on to salmons as well and swimming away from the competition, <laughs> which I love, and we'll, we'll explain what that means. But before we do that, latest travel is coming up in a couple of minutes. And even before that happens, yes, it's exciting, isn't it? Some words of wisdom for your business from our programme partners at Michigan Durea. Hi, I'm Richard Leadham, Head of Insurance Litigation at Mishkondorea. One of the things I always say to clients who come to me with a claim, whether it's against an insurance company or some sort of other financial institution, is be prepared to be in it for the long run because the opponents will try and wear you down. And that applies whether you're an individual or a relatively large company yourselves. Some of these institutions are set up to try and drive you um, to distraction and abandon the claim. So having the stamina and the appetite is very important. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. Every Saturday, I meet someone who's shaping the world of business, someone who's defining categories in their own special way. And my category definer today is Aphrodite Crasser. She has her hospitality designed uh, studio. Her background, as you were hopefully hearing earlier, was in kind of product design. As you said, it wasn't sexy. They used to call it industrial design at mm. Seymour Powell. But um, really, it started when you were, as you were saying, a 10-year-old uh, child who didn't really know what to call it, but you were kind of looking around and wanting to fix stuff, wanting to make things better better your ambition 
to to do that was realised. You went and did it. You said, I, I mean, and I can see how it happened because it wasn't a, a moment. It had no. been brewing for many years. When you actually set it up and you open the doors and you're doing it and it's your baby, were you suddenly going, oh, this is different? Or did it feel just the way you thought it would feel? Was it liberating? Was it exciting? <laughs> I, I, I need to tell you that straight away. As a, as a business person, I'm probably the least organized and, and kind of pre-planned business person ever. So I remember when, when I was in college, I had a lot of friends who would also be setting up their own studio and we would meet up and they would give me advice because they were a year ahead. And they would say, have you got your five-year business plan in place? And I would say, what? And then they would say, what is your exit strategy? (laughs) I said, I really don't have a clue. I just know I want to be doing what I want to be doing. And, And, you know, I've told this story many times. What I did is I found a little disused garage space in Battersea that has been transformed into a business unit at £60 a month, which was an absolute bargain. I bought a Vespa, I bought a laptop, and I thought, I'm in business. To me, that was it, you know? And I I, I remember vividly the day I, I bought the Vespa because I needed it to commute. I packed in my laptop. I drove for the first time to this to this place, which was very, very rough. And my partner at the time thought I'm crazy to be going into this place and and working every day from there. And I went in, opened the door, put my laptop, and I thought, what do I do next? And what, <laughs> I, and what did you do next? I mean, when did the first uh, job come in? How soon it after took opening a while. the doors? Yeah. What, did, what I did next is I would, you know, I would go on the internet, start researching on who I would love to work with, start contacting people, started exhibiting my work in different trade fairs, different shows. I would literally pack all my work in a suitcase and go to Japan, to New York, to Paris, to Germany and display my stuff and try to meet people, get to know people. And then I would make my own products, my own ranges with very little means and put them together in this workshop stroke office, spent, you know, all night putting things together. Then, as I said, fly out, show it to people. And um, I really had no plan whatsoever. But things, I truly believe, and that's always been my advice, that things happen organically. And, and if they don't, you need to let them happen organically. And a few years down the line, I met uh, my my first serious client, who's the uh, founder of Sketch, this great restaurant on Conduit Street, a guy called Murat Mazouz, who's um, an absolutely creative genius. And he called me up and said, I've seen one of your products. I love it. Can you come over and meet me to see if, you know, we can work together? And we um, installed uh, these lights that I had designed in Sketch in the gallery. And that was my first collaboration with the restaurateur. And there's a lot more that happened after that, culminating a few years ago. In fact, I think you were Designer of the Year, according to El Deco, back in 2010. And you've done many other things as well. Stay with me for more about how the woman on the Vespa and the laptop (laughs) with nothing except a a kind of vague idea she wanted to work for herself actually has made a fantastic business um, working with some of the biggest brands in the world. Time for some more music. This is Miles Davis with Time After Time.
That was Miles Davis with Time After Time. I'm talking to Aphrodite Crusser today. She's my business shaper. Uh, she's the founding director of her own business, Vespa Laptop, and now quite funky place, I imagine. I'm not sure where you are right now. Are you still in Battersea? No, we're in Notting Hill now. See we what happens. On. You see, you gentrified. Yes. You, you've let me down. I thought you were going to stay true to your roots, but anyway. Um, so uh, this this growth that happened, and you, you, you sweetly say, well, I'm, you know, I'm really disorganised. I'm super creative. It does strike me that if you're very, very creative, it's also very hard to be very, very organised. And whilst the, whilst the world is not as simple as you're either an organised human being or you're a creative human being, our predisposition is our predisposition. How have you coped with the organisational side? Is it about team? Is it about bringing in people that do that? Or have you just not worried? Um it's yeah maybe I'll, I'll go back this organization might not be the most accurate way of explaining because I'm genuinely organized it's just that I don't make extremely long-term plans I okay. take things as they come I don't have this massive down the line kind of thinking to me it's about doing things that you love as good as you can do them on a daily basis working with really great people and things will just happen. That's what I I fundamentally believe in. In terms of organization, yes, I think you do need the right people to help you with all of that because no matter what's going on in your head, you need another another set of people who can help you make all that reality. And Mm -hmm. the way my brain works, I think I've got about 20 new ideas every minute. And that is part of the problem because you really need to prioritize and say this is important and this isn't. And if I had... An enormous amount of time, and I lived for a thousand years, I would probably make all these, you know, fantasies that are in my head reality, but I need to be realistic about what I can achieve within my team and within, you know, the time that I've got. And what I imagine helps you is your philosophy, and I mentioned earlier salmons and swimming away from the competition. Mm. How have you stayed true to the idea of defining the category? Because that is a big statement to make, but Mm. it feels like that's what you do. So what is it that enables you to those 20 ideas that may become one or two, mm. they still deliver that incredible mm. look and that incredible experience. And I, mm. and I put the two in there because restaurants need to both look beautiful and feel good. Yes, I, and, and people, I don't think, realise that. They design just for a, from a visual perspective rather than from an experiential perspective. So what's made you able to re- retain that high level of delivery? We have a very... We try to um, distill... You know, the things we've been doing well as a process in the studio and distill it to a process that is more concrete so that we can repeat it across with every client. And without going into every detail, we created a proprietary process and mechanism within the studio that through very, very analytical research allows us to understand within the category that the client operates, whatever that is, let's say business hotels, we look at the category we establish all the cliches, all the stereotypes and what everybody else is doing. And from there, we pick up the pockets of opportunity of differentiation. So we go back to our client and we say, this is what everybody else is doing. And these are your opportunities to differentiate yourself in terms of design and experience. And then we try to implement it in a way that makes that their unique selling point in terms of brand and design. So there is some science to the whole process, not completely loose, but like anything, it was a process that grew organically and then we tried to kind of break it down and be able to turn it into something that we can repeat again and again and again. It makes perfect sense, those gaps that lead to opportunities which then enable yeah. people to be different. It could be very small things sometimes. Yeah. 
Stay with me for more from uh, Aphrodite today, my business shaper. Uh, final chat with Aphrodite coming up. Plus, we'll be playing a track from the Hot 8 Brass Band. That's after the latest traffic and travel. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We will stand on the banks of the river We shall walk through the streets of the city from the Hot 8 Brass Band. Aphrodite Crass is my business shaper just for a few more minutes and we've been talking about design, we've been talking about Vespers, uh, jumping on the bike, starting up a business and all that. And, and we, you mentioned earlier your first proper break and I'd love to know a little bit more about it because I, I imagine it still defines how you see the growth of the business and, and yeah. what, what that taught you. Just tell me a little bit about it. It was Julian Metcalf, of course, yes. and it was Itsu. Yes. That's a big number to land properly. How did you make that happen? Yes, I, I had this uh, habit every Friday. I would um, go through the papers and read about people and pick up a person that I thought would be interesting to write to and write in a proper handwritten letter. It's, you know, it's a very simple new business strategy, a new way of meeting people. So I, I read an article on Julian Metcalf and I thought, wow, this guy is really fascinating. So I wrote him this handwritten letter where I said, it's amazing how you've changed the design of Pret and I really love this wallpaper that you've put up on the wall and this is what I do and that was it. And I sent it out to him. The next day I got this call from his PA at the studio that I described to you earlier. And he said, I'm the PA of Julian Metcalf and he would like to meet you tomorrow. Would you be available? And I said, I thought, yes, I'll make myself immediately available. So I turned up the next day at the Pretamange office, waited for him for about an hour. He was slightly late. And he turned up and he said, um, so do you, can you design a mug like this for me? I said, yes, of course, that's what I do. Can you design... Uh, a desk for me can you design a chair for me can you design so he was pointing at all these things that were around his office and he would say can you design this and that and I said yeah that's that's what I do that's my business he said great I'm setting up a new chain and I want you to come on board and design it for me and I thought this guy is either completely crazy or really really clever (laughs) I couldn't work it out and and I said look I'll be honest with you I've never done anything like that he said I've got a site you can meet me at the site next week I'll give you eight weeks and come back and prove yourself and see what you can do for me So, so why did he do that because at that point you'd just written a letter you hadn't shown him any of your work nothing no so what what do you think happened I think there was a click. I think great people work with instinct. He's a brilliant entrepreneur. He probably saw something. He probably felt that it was the right match. And I don't know what it was that made him make that snap decision, but he was true to his word. He met with me the next week on, on at the site, which was the ground floor of Vogue House in Hanover Square, a tiny little store. And he said, these are the builders. And I said, okay, what, what do I need to do? He said, you're the boss, you tell them what you want. You tell them what you want to build here. And I said, I, I really have no idea what I'm doing. He said, fine, find out and come back to me next week with a plan. And I said to him, well, if we're going to build this brand, we need to design a logotype. He said, yeah, design one and show me next week. 
and literally would meet every Tuesday at this place and he would say great show me the next part and every week I would have to present more and more work in approximately eight weeks the shop was built and launched and it was a massive success literally massive we didn't expect the success that you know that he had it was outselling McDonald's which was around the corner in a tiny little store and we all knew that we've got something going and then he invited me to become the creative director of Itsu and lead the whole expansion for the next five years and that was the first first project I ever worked on really. Aphrodite thank you uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you just before I let you go and keep uh, to go off and build those people and build the team and, uh, and, the, and your clients and so on what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? I've chosen Chet Baker Deep in a Dream I'll tell you why I was a punk rocker when I was 16 and I had about 400 vinyl records of hardcore punk rock that were very rare vinyls and in between all of that I had some Chet Baker and the only reason I had that in between is because I thought he was a bit of a rock and roller at heart he was a bit of a you know a someone in the world of jazz and, and that's why I picked him thank you very much and here he is just for you thank you That was Deep in a Dream from Chet Baker, the song choice of my business shaper today, Aphrodite Crasser. She didn't call it creative, she called it problem solving, and she was doing it from the age of 10. The handwritten letter that she sent that enabled her to get her first gig is it kind of indicative of the kind of person that she is, just out there, confident, and will do the things that other people don't think to do. All fantastic stuff. Do join me again, same time, same place. That's next Saturday, 9am, here on Jazz FM, for another edition of Jazz Shapers. But stay with us right now, because coming up next, you know who it is. It's Mr. Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Condorea. It's business, but it's personal. <laughs>